All right. So here we are. We're here on the Sunday before Christmas. And the question that I really raise is, do we ever tire of this scene etched in our memories that tell us the story of the birth of Christ and really, really culturally in many ways in the United States, this is etched in our memories. Whether or not we espouse to the Christian faith, this story is etched in our memories. Let me explain. We hear carols proclaiming Messiah's birth. There are Christmas cards that are shared that are painted with caring shepherds and singing angels. Secular school concerts that dip into the sacred songs of Christmas. It's, it's everywhere. And yet, yet people are unaware that they are hearing the greatest story. And it's being etched on their minds and hearts, even if it is in the recesses that they cannot recollect in the moment. Christ is born. The Savior is born. This story, do we ever tire of this story? It captures us as it captivates us. And I hope that this story will capture you while captivating you this morning. It is the story of the birth of Jesus. Joey's going to come and he's going to help us today as he shares with us the story. Joey, come on. He's going to share with us the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Joey. Good. <laughs> That's Matthew's version of the birth of Jesus. Matthew's version, though, seems like the 1940s black and white version, right? It doesn't really seem like the 21st century special effects high drama version. I mean, Luke's version is filled with detailed images of angels soaring and shepherds running. And, and we can just imagine what that was like. John's version of, in his gospel elevates us to the lofty heights of the incarnation. And we hear those amazing words that we still cannot fully comprehend. And the Word became flesh. It made His dwelling among us. And the Gospel of Mark, well, well, Mark doesn't even really talk about any details. He just gets down to business. And that's how the Gospel of Mark is. And he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, period. That's Mark's Christmas story. But Matthew, it's pretty basic. 
There's no angels singing from on high, no grand entrances of shepherds, no lofty prose. Someone said that this is the sanitized version of Christmas compared to Luke's account, which we will read on Christmas Eve. But this is Matthew's version. Here it comes. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Just give us the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. But in those facts, we see something about the entrance of God into this world through Christ that catches our attention. And yes, it ought to captivate our hearts because God enters into the mess of humanity. God enters into the mess of life. We understand that by understanding what's really happening with Matthew's sanitized version. And to do that, we need to go backward and we need to look at the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you do have your Bible open or if you have your device with the Bible on it or you grab a Bible in front of you, just have your Bible open and look what's happening in those 17 verses of Scripture. There we find one of the genealogies of Jesus, the other being in Luke. Now it's important to remember if we're going to understand what's happening in Matthew's Gospel about Christmas... It's important to remember why Matthew is writing this gospel. Matthew, the disciple, is compiling this gospel as a way to reach out to Jews. And because that's true, he needs to make the point that Jesus is the Messiah. Because that's so important, it is essential then for him to construct a genealogy that reaches unbroken back in time, through David, to Abraham. He needs to show that the Messiah is a Davidic person, but reaches all the way to the very start of the people of Israel, all the way back to Abraham. And that's how it is. The Messiah's line was supposed to be pure and direct to David, to Abraham. And it starts out good enough. Verse 1 and 2 this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. There it is. Pretty direct, right? Well, then he goes on and starts giving the generations and generations and generations of people involved to get to Jesus. But as the saying goes, we have a problem, mission control, when you start reading this genealogy. You see, this is a patriarchal society. This is a society that really viewed men as being in control of everything. And especially when it comes to the Messiah, it should be following the society's norms. So what Matthew does, according to the society, is he taints the messianic line because he mentions women. But not just any women. He mentions some specific women. So let's look at them briefly this morning. First one he mentions is a woman by the name of Tamar. You may know Tamar. Uh, Genesis 38 is where you could go and find more about Tamar. Well, long story to it, but the bottom line is she deceived her father-in-law and acted like a prostitute whereby he got her pregnant. Tamar. We then meet Rahab, and you can go to Joshua 2 and 6 if you want to meet Rahab. And Rahab is the famous prostitute who helped Joshua's men gain victory. 
Her son's name was Boaz, and he married a foreign Gentile woman by the name of Ruth. And Ruth became David's great-grandmother. Now, wait a minute. This is supposed to be pretty clean stuff here. Gentile is David's great-grandmother. And then we can't forget David. And David's listed with his wife, Bathsheba. And if you remember from 2 Samuel 11, David, in an abuse of power, forced himself upon her because you do not say no to the king. And after she became pregnant, he arranged for her husband to be murdered to cover it all up. So I guess the Messiah does not have such a pure line. There's deceit, intrigue, abuse, murder, prostitution, and God enters that mess. He comes from that mess. Now, let's check out Joseph. Joseph's life gets very complicated with these words from verse 18. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. He knows that being engaged to a pregnant teenager would not play well for him. He is confused and he is scared. And so the angel even said to him, do not be afraid, but there it is. By the way, angels have a habit of saying that. Do not be afraid. We'll find that out more on Christmas Eve night. But there it is. What happens? God enters that mess. And of course, Mary's life would be a nightmare as she endures the stares and whispers of the neighbors and the threats of the religiously elite. Remember what the Pharisees wanted to do with the woman caught in adultery? Their weapon of choice was large rocks. So I am sure that Mary at this point is fearing vulnerable and she's feeling alone. But it is right there that God enters the mess. I don't think anytime soon we're going to see Rahab, David, and Bathsheba and a pregnant teenager Mary on a Christmas card for us to send to people. Do you? So much for the pure family tree of Messiah, the perfect Christmas. We work so hard, probably too hard, at trying to make Christmas perfect for our families, for the people who we encounter. Well, Christmas is anything but perfect. Right from the start. So I guess, I guess Matthew's version is not really the sanitized black and white 1940s version. It is actually as current in real life color as any passage in the scriptures. But my friends, this is such good news for us. And this is why it's good news for us. Matt and Josh Leroy write these words, Matthew shows us that Jesus came through a lineage of broken people to heal and redeem broken people. He is like the artist that salvages unexpected materials and breathes beauty into them. And that's why these words are timelessly capturing our imaginations and they captivate our hearts. These words, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1.23. That's why those words are so captivating. 
because the king enters the mess of humanity. Scandal, abuse, hypocrisy, teenage pregnancy, the difficulty of divorce, fear of others, fear of being harmed, overcoming what seems like an unredeemable past. Imagine Jesus as a teenager. Hey, we know about your family. They all know about family history. You have to understand that. That's the way that world worked. We all know about your family. Loneliness, vulnerability, confusion, darkness, death. God enters all of that. You know, if you think that being born in a barn was messy, think about the whole story from beginning to end. But then think about this. Jesus came. He came to be born anew into your mess, into my mess, into our messes. And right there, right in the mess, Jesus wants to be the king to rule over our lives, to change our lives, to redeem our mess when we allow him. And this is why the angels told Joseph and by extension tells us, do not be afraid. As I said, more about that on Christmas Eve, but for now, just listen to the words that we say over and over and over and over again on Christmas. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. One person said that sin is the choice we make to minister to ourselves. That's an interesting way to look at it. And what they're saying is to go it alone without God and sometimes each other. We may choose to go it alone without God through an addiction to drugs or an addiction to money. We may choose to go it alone without God in building our career or trying to build the perfect family. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to save ourselves. But the truth is, we can't save ourselves. We just can't. Fleming Rutledge writes, the human race cannot expect to receive any lasting comfort from the world. That's a good statement, isn't it? Look at that. The human race cannot expect to receive any lasting comfort from the world. The comfort that we need so desperately must come from somewhere else in a burst of transcendent power from beyond our sphere altogether. Is that not a great definition of Christmas? On that first Christmas, God burst into the mess with power. And yes, Joseph was confused and uncomfortable. He was confused and uncomfortable at all of it. Mary was afraid and feeling incredibly vulnerable. None of it was sensible. But deep down, it made sense. And maybe this Christmas, God wants to break into your mess. And, and here's what you need to know. That's uncomfortable. And it feels confusing. And you may, may feel scared, and you may feel more vulnerable than you care to admit. And you're just not sure that you can let God get into that deep mess of your life. But in the same honest and candid way God came into this world, he now invites you and me to be as honest and candid in trusting him. 
Albert Hung writes in our devotional today. God says, don't be afraid. What I'm conceiving in your life is from the Holy Spirit. I'm about to do something extraordinary through you. Will you trust me? That mess may just be a place where God wants to do something different in your life and you just need to trust him in it. It may be finally dealing with something in your heart, in your mind, something that has just tripped you up in your spiritual life and God wants to say, just trust me with that. It may be that finally, 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 it's enough words, it's enough religious practice, I want to live in real relationship with God. Maybe you just need to trust him with that. I really want to surrender everything I am to him. Well, do that and trust him with that. Then watch what God does. He wants to birth something holy in you and in me as we trust him. How do we know this? Because God is with us. In fact, the final words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew mirror these words about the infant Jesus when we hear Jesus say, and never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. And that now makes his name Emmanuel, our promise for today. God with us. Us. You. Me. 21st century. God with us through Jesus Christ. Present tense. So Jesus is not just a life that is measured by 33 years on earth. Jesus is not just a historical religious figure from some ancient past. Jesus is the presence of God and the power of the Spirit in our presence. Whatever that is and the assurance that he is with us in our future, whatever that future holds. And that tells us, tells me, tells you that God is not absent from the world even when the world seems absent of God. He specializes in the mess. So what about this world? Well, this is right where he wants to be. Jesus is comfortable in the mess. Not to leave us there, but to bring us where he wants us to be to birth in us something holy and good, to give us salvation, to grant us his peace. Right in the mess of it all, and it is here that he wants to make something beautiful. We read these words earlier. God is like the artist who salvages unexpected materials and breathes beauty into them. Well, you may not know Tim Noble and Sue Webster, but they are artists who take trash and discarded, broken things and turn them into works of art. Uh, maybe their most famous sculpture is made of discarded wood and old ladders and broken items. And when you first look at it, it looks like this. It kind of just looks like a mess. I mean, how would you like to have that in your living room? Right? But then they add one more ingredient. And the one ingredient they add is light. And when they shine the light on it in a specific way, a person seems to come alive in the background. And that's what happens when we allow 
the light of Christ to shine on our lives. You know what happens? We become real persons. We become the people that have always been intended to be. And he begins to form and shape us. And what's amazing, when he shines his light through us and we trust him with our lives, suddenly the shadow is similar to him. And we become more whole people. That's what the peace candle's about. This story that captures our imagination and captivates our heart is true. And God shines his life in the mess and on the mess. And something beautiful comes forth. It's because that's true, we can cry out like the psalmist cries out in Psalm 80. O eternal God, turn the light of your face upon us so that we will be rescued from this sea of darkness. O God, turn your light onto us. And rescue us, O Christ. O God, enter our mess and save us. Thanks be to God. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come And I'm going to ask our pastors to come as well as we prepare for communion this morning. As we open up our hearts to God's light shining on us, let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you again for your good word today. We thank you, Lord God, for your light that shines in the darkness, that shines on the mess. We thank you that it's true that, God, you've entered our mess. And you've redeemed it as we trust you with it. And so, Lord God, as we come to this table today, we ask you, Lord God, that you would open up our hearts, you who gave your life for us. May we open up our hearts to you to come in. Come into our mess, come into our lives, come into our world, and be our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.